Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. They clone Tyrone. I knew I was going to watch it. I am a fan of the work and the skill set of Jamie Foxx. I am a fan and an admirer of the work of John Boyega. And those two had me like, all right, I'm going to watch it. John Boyega mostly because he has a certain type of integrity about the roles that he takes. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch it. But when it first started out and I saw typical stereotypes of black men and women, negative stereotypes, I'll say, because there are positive stereotypes about all kinds of people. There are negative stereotypes about all kinds of people. But as a black person, I'm over the movies, the overabundance of movies of negative stereotypes. I mean, a drug dealer, a pimp, and a hoe prostitute? Nah. If it wasn't those two actors that I respect, I would have stopped watching it immediately. And I would have lost out on a pretty decent film. So, how can a film with such stereotypes be decent? It, it, it gets real. It gets really real. So, I'm going to give a summary from my perspective of the new Netflix film that just came out this past Friday, uh, July 21st, 2023. They clone Tyrone. Let's get into it. Before I get into the overview and the summary of the film, I want to get into this article about the co-writer and the director Uh, Jewel Taylor. This is an article that was found on the New York Times website, www.newyorktimes.com. The headline is, The Personal Backstory Driving They Cloned Tyrone. Jewel Taylor talks about his first film as a director, an adventurous sci-fi comedy starring Jamie Foxx, John Boyega, and Tayana Paris. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Tiana Paris. I've seen her in other things, but I didn't know her name. She did an amazing job. All three of them did. Um, John Boyega, though, yeah, he was definitely killing it. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually decent, decent film. So this article was written by Reggie Ugu and published on the New York Times website on July 21st, 2023. Jewel Taylor is a first-time feature film director, but he's not new to Hollywood. With Tony Rettenmeyer, his writing partner and former classmate in the University of Southern California Graduate Film School, Taylor helped write the sequels Creed II, 2018, 
and Space Jam, A New Legacy 2021, establishing his credentials as an engineer of mainstream popcorn entertainment. His first effort behind the camera, the comedy sci-fi conspiracy thriller They Clone Tyrone, has a smaller profile but is in some ways even more ambitious. Starring John Boyega, Jamie Foxx, and Tayana Paris, and streaming on Netflix, the original story written by Taylor and Rettenmeyer wedges heady questions about structural racism, personal autonomy, and the search for meaning into a pulpy package. In the film, a diligent small-time drug dealer named Fontaine, played by Boyega, who may or may not be a clone, teams up with his least favorite clients, Slick Charles, played by Jamie Foxx, and Yo-Yo, played by Tayana Paris, to unravel a sinister plot that upends everything he believes about himself and the world. Taylor, 36, who grew up in Tuskegee, Alabama, discussed the surprisingly personal origins of the story, playing with and against racial stereotypes and why he may owe his career to the Gnarls Barkley song Crazy in a pair of video interviews. These are edited excerpts from the conversation. Where did Tyrone start for you? Everything happened in kind of a weird little burst. In 2017, me and Tony were working with Macro, the company that produced Tyrone, on an episode of their show Raising Dion. Then in 2018, we got hired to work on Creed 2, and we pitched and sold this movie while we were working on that. What was the original idea for the story? It was a couple of things. I knew I wanted to do a mystery, like a bootleg Scooby-Doo where the detectives are inadequate, but somehow uniquely equipped. And then there was a joke that I had with Tony, a pimp, a prostitute, and a drug dealer walk into a bar. What if we made them the heroes? But the actual story didn't come until I figured out the character of Fontaine. In 2016, I reconnected with a friend from college. He had gotten arrested for something when we were 18 or 19 that ended up changing the course of his life. I had always been a little bit critical of him because I thought he had so much potential. But in this conversation, he revealed that he had been dealing with depression. He just didn't know how to tell anybody back then. It completely changed my perspective. I started thinking a lot about blame and responsibility, and that's when all the elements of the movie came together. A guy is having an identity crisis, and he has to overcome circumstances that are genuinely beyond his control. Are you someone who thinks in genre, generally? I do think in genre, but usually it's mood and tone that comes to mind first. A lot of times it's a song or a piece of score and I'll be trying to recapture how that feels. This movie was a lot of 80s R&B and funk. Bootsy Collins, Mary Jane Girls, Patrice, Patrice Russian, Alicia Myers, and Southern Rap. Everything from 3-6 Mafia and Project Pat to UGK and Big Crit. What about film, film influences? Definitely The Truman Show and they live this movie is basically if the truman show and they live had a baby there's a little bit of the matrix in there as well a little the manchurian candidate a little anaconda tone wise we were really inspired by jackie brown boogie nights and the big lebowski and then for the world building we looked at napoleon dynamite and it follows did you always know you wanted to make movies 
I wanted to do video game design originally. I went to the University of Florida for undergrad and did this program called Digital Arts and Sciences, but I quickly found out that I was not a great art student. The one project I did that was successful and that I actually had fun with was a music video I made inspired by Narles Barkley's song, Crazy. From there, I somehow got it into my head that I wanted to make films. The movie takes place in a fictional Southern neighborhood called The Glen that seems a little bit stuck in time. How similar is it to where you grew up? Very. A lot of places in the South don't have the resources and infrastructure that they should. So even though the people might be making the most of it, there's still this patina where everything feels like it's from the 80s. That's something that was always in the forefront of our minds when we were designing the Glen. What made you think of incorporating stereotypical ideas of black culture in the conspiracy plot? It references everything from fried chicken to grape drink to perm cream. We worked backward from the character of Fontaine. He's in this situation through no fault of his own. Who put him there? And what else are they up to? I thought about all these conspiracies that I heard growing up and just tried to have fun with it and be a little churlish. It was a matter of walking a tightrope between these absurd plot points and some kind of darker and heavier undertones. I'm playing with the idea of how we see ourselves and how others see us. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to make it entertaining. Were you ever concerned about being perceived as promoting negative images of black people? Or on the other side, passing judgment on the culture you're depicting? I mean, that's inescapable. Some of this stuff makes me uncomfortable, so I know some other people are going to be uncomfortable. We've had test screenings where people said, I understand that it's satire, but I just don't like seeing that. And I think that's totally fair, but you have to make peace with that if you're going to explore these subjects at all. The second you have anybody eating fried chicken on screen, you're in somewhat of a danger zone. I legit know people who say, I don't eat chicken in front of white people. But I don't know a way to explore this stuff without putting the images on the screen. Hopefully this is a story and these are characters that people will want to engage with. And if you do, you might see that some of these stereotypes are deconstructed and things are more than meets the eye. But if that's not your experience, who am I to tell you you're wrong? I don't want people to think there's only one way for the movie to be interpreted. I'm glad I read that... Um, that article so I can hear the director and one of the writer's perspectives because as I said in my opening the stereotypes were immediate that almost made me turn off the movie but because I admired the work of Jamie Foxx and John Boyega I kept watching and I'm glad I did The movie opens up with a conversation that several fellas are having about Michael Jackson. And for those who don't know, young Michael was very dark brown skinned, African features, big eyes, big expressive eyes, broad nose, huge afro. Like young Michael was totally different than the Michael who became a worldwide pop star and his look where he had like 
pale skin, paper, paper white, pale skin, and a, a, a nose that he could barely breathe out of because it was so tiny and small, and hair that was like plastered to his head. And all of that was, I don't know why Michael Jackson did all of that, but it wasn't the original how he was born as a black man or a black a black boy, black man, whatever. So the opening conversation is like a foreshadowing of the plot ahead of us. Um, in the background of these um, men talking is a... Uh, it's like a, uh, I don't want to, it's not a billboard, but it's like a advertisement on a wall. And it's a white man smiling with a crazy robotic smile on his face and like ugly, cloudy blue eyes. And he's um, advertising a drink that says, keep them smiling. And they're talking about, um, black men in the entertainment business who are no longer physically alive, but they swear they seen them, the conspiracy. I seen them down working at the Piggly Wiggly over on MLK. And the irony that MLK is also a black man who is no longer with us. Um, so they're having their conversation, a, a, a hood, quote unquote, hood conversation um, in this like a poverty-stricken neighborhood and again talking about entertainers and it's like the typical conversation that you would expect to hear (laughs) um talking about you know people who are larger than larger than life like escaping from their reality by talking about something that has nothing to do with their their day-to-day so then you have a seedy guy trying to sell this lady uh, um, the latest Uncle Ruckus music, which is funny because Uncle Ruckus, a lot of the current hip-hop, and not even just current, for years now, has been, um, hip-hop has been along the Uncle Ruckus lines. Like, And if you don't know who Uncle Ruckus is, just Google it and you'll see from the boondocks, Uncle Ruckus is... Um, is is black but anti-black at the same time. A lot of a lot of the degradation that we see in neighborhoods like that is mental. Like just buying into all the stereotypes and living them out, you know. So then we see my favorite character in the whole movie is this little boy who pulls up on his bike and he's just so full of youthful innocence and he's always telling stories about spongebob cartoons is he's super cute and the other guys he's looking for fontaine and the guys who are talking about michael jackson and tubac or whatever like yo go your ass home like they wasn't mean to him but they were like dismissive dismissive of him so he drives you know riding his bike or whatever looking for fontaine and he finds him fontaine is with um some guys and they're working out in like a, a yard of some type. And so he pulls up on him. And the irony that the young man's name, the little boy's name is June, nickname is Junebug, is important to me because Junebug is like a very popular nickname. It's like you hear that nickname a lot. 
and it has different meanings depending on the culture, your perspective, your cultural perspective. Um, June bugs, like real June bugs, play an important role in helping nutrients cycle through ecosystems because they're food for many wild animals. So that's from like a gardening perspective. So June bug is an actual real bug that comes out in the summertime, June. Um, but June bugs also have a Native American spiritual significance as they are a symbol of transformation, renewal, and rebirth. Um, some see June bugs as a sign of fertility and abundance. So June bug pulls up on Fontaine and they go for a ride because June bug has information <laughs> for Fontaine, who is like the local drug dealer or whatever. So he's taking, um, he's leading Fontaine to where his competition, the other drug dealers in the neighborhood, are infringing on his territory. And um, Junebug is just telling his SpongeBob stories, but Fontaine is just zoned out. He looks young and old at the same time. Fontaine is John Boyega's character. And his hair and his his beard isn't like neat or anything. And some people rock their hair like that, like artistic people, or just to, that's their style. But more than the fact that his hair is he's not clean shaven or anything, and he's just zoned out. He just looks dry. He looks numb. He looks like emotionless, just like going through the motions. Um, but Junebug is oblivious to that. He's just talking SpongeBob and you're a Squidward and all that stuff. The little boy is super cute. Um, but Fontaine is about his business. Where's Where's this guy trying to sell drugs on my territory? You know the stereotypical whatever. So they pull up to the guy that's selling in um, Fontaine's area. And Fontaine proceeds to hit him with his car. He got like an old school, big ass Cadillac. So of course he breaks his legs and the little boy is in the car. Like this is how, it's just a shame. Like when little kids are around stuff like that, because it just influences them to become or not. They don't have to become that. And they don't necessarily always become that. But it, it normalizes bad behavior. And hitting somebody with your car and breaking their legs is bad behavior. I don't care who it is. And it's just a shame that, you know, sometimes kids really do experience those things um, that they shouldn't. So, um, he's friends. His feud with the other neighborhood drug dealer is is going to be that leads up to his physical demise ultimately and he's doing all this dirty work and i'm just fascinated that even though he's doing all this dirty work that ultimately leads to his physical demise he lives as if he has no money at all like he goes into a house that is is real dark um, it, it definitely needs painting. It, it, it's like splotches, but it's people started to paint, but they didn't really paint, but it needs a paint job for sure. Um, the furniture is bare minimum. Looks like they pulled it out the trash. Like for him to be a quote unquote drug dealer, he don't eat good. He don't live good. He don't, 
take care of himself with that money. So I can't see what he's doing with the money at all. Even his car is not like he's just existing. He's just existing. But anyway, also, he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have any family other than his mother. And he goes to knocks on her door with a little tiny, tiny ass. Looks like peanut butter and jelly on white bread. Nobody eats white bread anymore. But it looks like peanut butter and jelly on white bread. And it's like a half a slice of sandwich. It's so small. And he offers it to his mother and she never comes to her door. So he doesn't have family. He doesn't have friends. He lives with his mom. He doesn't have a a love life. Um, He just drinks 40s, 40 ounces of beer, eats small sandwiches and watches bad TV. Like, what? That's, That's terrible. That's a terrible life. And on his refrigerator is this one reminder. There's no other pictures in the house, mind you. But on his refrigerator is a memorial to his little brother. It's a picture of him hugging his little brother, play fighting when they were younger. And then there was a memorial to his little brother who um, clearly has passed on. I don't like sad stories, even if they're true. And his, his home life is definitely a sad, sad story. So he does have one friend. I don't know if that's his friend, but he's a worker for sure. And he comes over and he brings a pizza box that's supposed to be full of money, but is definitely the money is light. And so the guy tells him that he couldn't, the money's light because he couldn't find Slick Charles. He said Slick Charles messed up the money or whatever. So he's like, all right, I'm going to go find Slick Charles. So Fontaine goes out into his um into the neighborhood looking for Slick Charles or whatever. He comes up on Biddy first, and she she becomes a integral part of the plot, the story as it moves forward. So he comes up on Biddy, who can tell him where Slick Charles is. But first, she needs her money because you know she just not out here hoeing. She needs to pay her college tuition. <laughs> Oh my god. So meanwhile the his um competition is following his every move because they're gonna meet up with him at wherever his final destination is and they're gonna handle him, right? So he gets to the Royal Hotel right after Yo Yo uh proclaims her retirement from the whole game. Um Yo Yo is played by Tayana Paris. And she's a main character. And Slick Charles is played by none other than Jamie Foxx. Gotta love Jamie Foxx. And they arguing back and forth. And, you know, they got their funny one-liners, whatever. But he also, you doing all of this stuff. And you living, like, in a nasty... The whole neighborhood just look dark, dirty, and nasty. But, again, that's... If that's what the neighborhood is, that's what the neighborhood is. So... That's just what the neighborhood is, you know. It's a movie, but I also know there's people like that's that sometimes is real life. So he got this hotel room with several women that's supposed to be his hoes or whatever, but yo yo, she's over it. She's done. She is not doing this no more. She has drink hopes and dreams that she's gonna do something different. So she packing up her stuff. She leaves out, she she goes past Fontaine, so she sees Fontaine. Um, right before he goes into um, 
confront Slick Charles about, you know, the short money or whatever. So he goes, gets his money from Slick Charles. He leaves out. He gets shot up by Isaac, which is his drug dealing competition. And Slick Charles sees him get shot up. He sees the bloody car, everything, everything. What Slick Charles does not see is Fontaine wake up the next day back to his daily routine, 40-ounce beers and lottery tickets. And But this day, his routine is interrupted when he leaves the store buying his lottery ticket and then pouring out a little liquor for um, the neighborhood drunk Frog. Frog is a man, an old man who just sit around waiting for somebody to give him some liquor. Um, but the routine is interrupted when he notices that someone is walking in the middle of the street with a huge hole in their chest, like they got shot up, like they're bleeding out, about to die. But a uh, uh, a black SUV pulls up. The person's resisting, like no, no, no. But then they pull the person into the jeep, and then Fontaine says, "Not Fontaine." The drunk guy Frog says, "Off to see the wizard again." And that kind of like triggers something in Fontaine because Fontaine's looking like he knows, he feels, he senses, his intuition is telling him something is off with this scene. Even though it's a neighborhood where bad things happen on a regular basis, this is way out of the ordinary. And it's something that Frog obviously has seen before because he said off to see the wizard again. And Frog, even though he's drunk, he sits there and sees everything day in, day out. So Frog be knowing. And he's like kind of repeats the stuff. Even though he's drunk, he's repeating what he sees go on day to day. So Fontaine gets back into his car. He goes home. He's making the sandwiches. But something is different. He's like, he's looking around, feeling like a little off. And then he looks at the pizza box that's on his um, living room table. And he remembers, oh, Slick Charles was short with the money. Let me go get that money from Slick Charles. So he goes back over to see see Slick Charles. But Slick Charles is like, what the? F-? He know damn well Fontaine was shot up and murdered last night. And so this is where the plot starts to get the story starts to get into what the f... Because how a dead man going to get shot up that many times and come back like nothing happened, like nothing happened. I could see if he was in the hospital with some tubes up. But no, he's just walking around like no holes, no nothing. So yeah, that's when we know, yeah, something is something different going on in the neighborhood. So Slick Charles is stressed all the way out by Fontaine's reappearance. Fontaine is unbothered as ever asking, yo, where's the money at? Slick Charles is trying to explain what happened the night before, but Fontaine is clueless. So Slick Charles tells him to ask Yo-Yo because she walked past Fontaine when he was pulling up. So they get in Fontaine's car and they pull up on Yo-Yo, still doing her whole strolling work. (laughs) Um, She confirms that she did see Fontaine come through the night before, and she confirms that she did hear shots. 
So now Fontaine got the wheels turning in his mind like, yo, we need to find out what's going on. So he immediately pulls off because Yo-Yo mentioned that she saw the SUV that pulled off after she heard the shots. So she was like, I recognize it at this house over on the other side of the town where I go to work sometimes. Okay, so this banter back and forth between Sick Charles and um, Yo-Yo is funny, but they just that's just part of the... Um, the comedic part of the of the movie that you gotta watch to get the aspect of it. So now Fontaine, um, Fontaine, Slick Charles, and Yo Yo drive over to the other side of town, and she she sees the car that she recognizes, and he also Fontaine also recognizes that SUV from the other day, that's the same SUV that picked up the person that had that um, gunshot wound in their chest. And they pulled that person into the SUV and that they had pulled off. So Fontaine wants to know what's happening. He immediately pulls out his gun. He's getting out the car. Slick Charles and Yo-Yo are like, yo, what you doing? And they don't want to go in with him. But he pauses and he looks at them because he's the unspoken leader at this point of their little path. So when he gets out, they get out too. So they go into the house. The house is a big house, but it's empty. And it's like no furniture in it or nothing. But they're going through the different rooms. Yo-Yo is pointing out, oh, this would be nice. This like She's like interior decorating the house in her mind, um, which is funny. But they get to a, a part, a room in the house that's like, it looks like a break room. Not like a regular kitchen, but like a break room with lockers and a refrigerator and like a little TV and stuff. And so they're trying to figure out what kind of quote unquote trap house that is. Cause what are they doing? Like it, it was, it was a weird situation. And, um, so they still exploring or whatever. Slick Charles is ready to go, but they still exploring. Yo-Yo is kind of curious. Um, Fontaine definitely want to know, because if I got shot the night before and y'all saying I got shot up, I need to know what, what what's going on. So Fontaine is extra curious. So he opens like a, it looks like a closet door, but it's actually an elevator of some kind. So then um, when the elevator doors open, Fontaine gets on immediately. Sick Charles is like, Fontaine, get your ass off that goddamn elevator. <laughs> the way he said it, Fontaine looked like, looked like a little boy in the face. Like, yo, I'm going to find out. So then um, Charles was like, all right. So Charles was like, do what you're going to do. Yo-Yo, I need you to get your ass in the car. And she's she don't listen to Slick Charles for nothing. She shouldn't pay him no attention. She gets on the elevator. She was like, 15 minutes. Because she, she's curious, too. So since they got on the elevator, Slick Charles was like, oh, my God. He really didn't want to go. But he gets on the elevator, too. And then they go downstairs. It goes down. Now, they in the elevator, they thinking about it. The only one that had his gun out at first was Fontaine. But Yo-Yo thought about it like, we about to go down in this empty house, an elevator in an empty house. I need to pull my gun out. And Charles pulls his gun out, too. And then when, they, when the elevator doors finally open up, we hear, keep on to the first don't stop. Don't stop till you get enough. It's a, a old Michael Jackson song. Is playing, and then you see this guy just off beat dancing. It's like a lab, 
and he's just going off, dancing terribly. And so they just staring at him like, what the, f- what is, what? And then, so he, he didn't hear the doorbell ding, the doorbell. He didn't hear the elevator ding because he had the music up too loud. And so he spins around dancing and he sees them. So everybody kind of like freezes and just looks at each other. And then he cuts the music off and he's just looking at each other. And then he breaks for it. He tries to run. And Yo-Yo's like, dang, get him. So Fontaine catches up to him or whatever before he can get away. And Fontaine got the gun to him, like, yo, what's going on? Da-da-da-da. So Fontaine's trying to get answers out of the lab technician. And Yo-Yo and Sig Charles are cautiously walking throughout the lab, looking at the stuff um, with their guns out or whatever. And then they foolishly, I guess because they're so used to illicit drugs, I mean, he does, he does do pimping as his his main source of income. She does do hoeing as her main source of income. And in that particular, the way that they are doing their things, it's, I guess drugs is a part of that lifestyle. So when they see white powder, they automatically like mess with it. Why they do that? Um, so Charles sniffed it or whatever, started jumping and giggling. She, she started making all kind of faces and twisting because the chemicals in drugs mess you up. And so they doing that. Um, but Fontaine finally gets some answers out of the lab technician who's like, I'm just staff. I'm just, I'm just trying to get my paycheck. I just pay my taxes. I'm, I'm, I'm not used to all this gun stuff. You might be used to it, but I'm not used to it. I'm just claiming innocence. And then Fontaine's like, yeah, by doing creepy shit, and he's like, I'm just, you know, whatever, whatever. So Fontaine is is finished with talking to the tech. He He's going to explore the lab some himself. So he gets Charles, Slick Charles, to come over there and watch the lab guy. But now Slick Charles got these chemicals, these drugs in him, and he's just nervous and jumpy. Now, gun and nervous and jumpy don't make a good combination. So the lab tech understands that fully. Oh, my God. So he jumping and laughing and giggling and shaking. And eventually he ends up shooting the lab tech by mistake. And um, then they ready to get out of there. So they run and they try to get out of there. But they meet up with Fontaine, who has found a dead body, a body in a body bag. His dead body in a body bag. All three of them see it so it was a lot like even when I first saw it I was like wow imagine you seeing your own self and you see all the bullet holes still in the body that's laying there looking like you so then he realizes what Slick Charles had told him about the night before was really true but how how could that be him laying there dead And him standing there looking at himself laying there dead. So it was a lot more like, what are they, what is this? What the f is going on? We see Fontaine in the car, mind and spirit just upside down after seeing what he saw. 
Slick Charles and Yo-Yo are in the background, steady arguing as usual. They don't want to go back to their regular spots. None of, none of them do after all that has happened. So Yo-Yo takes them to her grandmother's house. It's a very decent house, and it's, it's nice to see a decent house in their neighborhood. She still has her childhood bedroom at her grandmother's house, and it's full of, like, posters and stuff on the wall. Um, I think I saw Mahogany, which is one of my favorite movies. That's from the 70s. But then you see B2K, which is from, I believe, the 90s. Then you see just all kind of different... Because there's no... You can't tell if this is the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Everything is mixed in, like, different... um, different decades are mixed all into this. You really don't know what decade you're in. And you see all of that in her bedroom. Um, Her bedroom is also full of Nancy Drew books. And that's really funny to me because I honestly grew up on Nancy Drew books. Like my grandmother, (laughs) my father's mother, brought me all the books. Um, But in Yo-Yo's bedroom... She also has, like, trophies. And it's a really nice bedroom. You could tell, like, her grandmother kept it for her. Like, you could tell she came from, like, a caring family. And what she's doing now probably really disappoints. No, not probably. Um, definitely disappoints her grandmother. Um, I just want to give a shout-out to my favorite, my current favorite uh, author, Nettie Okorafor for the young adult series that she put out for black black girls, black girls and boys um, to go on adventures that are African-centered. And that's the Akata Witch series. If you haven't heard of it, check it out. It's better than Nancy Drew. I'm going to say it way better than Nancy Drew. But for um, this series is helpful because Nancy Drew solved mysteries. And so that's what Yo-Yo is intrigued by Nancy Drew because she grew up reading that. And um, that becomes a central helping point for them. So the Nancy Drew books are there and Slick Charles picks up one of them and is like, how many adventures did this bitch go on? <laughs> Which was funny to me. Um, so Fontaine is is quiet. He's just, he has a quiet personality. He just, he don't say too much. He moves. He's he's about action. Um, but Slick Charles and Yo-Yo still arguing about everything. Fontaine finally speaks up and saying, that wasn't me. So then they like, what? Because I guess Font, I guess Slick Charles and Yo-Yo really don't want to focus on seeing his dead body because that's just too weird, you know? But then when Fontaine speaks up and says, that wasn't me, Charles begs to differ. And Yo-Yo tries to be, like, understanding. She just wants to calm everything down. Everything is real hype right now. So she tries to convince them to just relax for the night. And she brings up the mysteries of Nancy Drew and how things always end up being regular, degular, smegular after... You know, first it looks real crazy, but then when they do the investigation, they found out they find out things are just normal. So she's trying to convince them to relax and chill for the night, and then tomorrow we'll find out. You know, we'll find out that it's just regular stuff. It's just it's a lot right now, so let's just chill and relax. 
Fontaine's not trying to hear none of that. Nancy Drew, whatever, he's not trying to hear none of that. He's ready to go right back to that house right then and there. And Yo-Yo's like, yo, just relax. If you go there now, you're going to lead them right back to us. They, all of that that happened, you got to let it, let it, you know, cool off. So Charles and um, <laughs> Charles is over there sipping on some liquor talking about don't make no dollars, don't make no sense. <laughs> um, but she convinces them to chill. So Fontaine gets the bed, Yo-Yo gets a little spot on the floor because it's a nice bedroom. So you got a nice little carpet there. Everybody gets a little comfortable spot in their own space. Everybody gets some rest. But the next morning, Yo-Yo pops up and she sees that Fontaine is already gone. So he's gathered up some boys to go back to that house. And seeing his dead body, he just can't get past that. So he takes his boys back to the houses for them and they bust back in. But now the house is just a regular house. It looks like people left for school and work in the morning it's like it has bedrooms and blankets and it's just a nicely decorated house and when he goes to the closet there's no elevator leading to an underground lab none of that is there so he tries to explain to his boys what was there what they're looking for and one of his boys was like you need some water let's go get some water scientists say our bodies are whatever percentage of water that's that's how you we need some water so he don't want to hear none of that. And he drives off and he leave, he leaves them at the house and he goes back to meet up with Yo-Yo and Slick Charles at um, Yo-Yo's grandmother's house. So they're talking. Yo-Yo and Slick Charles are still arguing. This time they're arguing because Yo-Yo's grandmother don't have no groceries in the house. She don't got nothing but tea. Yo-Yo's still drinking on some tea. Yo-Yo ain't make nobody else no tea. <laughs> She's still drinking on her tea or whatever. Um... Fontaine, usually quiet, but he asked like specific questions like what that Scooby-Doo bitch would do right now? What would she do? And Yo-Yo was like, who, Nancy Drew? And so while she's trying to figure out what Nancy Drew would do, trying to remember, you know, what she read in her books or whatever, there was a commercial that came on the TV for that goddamn fried chicken. And Slick Charles is like, instead of us just sitting around the table talking, let's sit around the table that got some food on it. So they go down to the goddamn chicken spot and um they start tearing into the chicken <laughs> and Fontaine brings the conversation right back around to the central point what would Nancy Drew do so Yo-Yo says well with any mystery you got to start out with the facts what is it that we know so <laughs> Charles says we know he did and Yo-Yo said plot twist He's also right here. So they all start laughing. And even Fontaine is laughing. And then they're like, um, what else do we know? It's two Fontaines. Double Tane. And you know, they laughing or whatever. And they point out that there's an underground um, trap house laboratory somewhere. And, and any information they need is 100, 100 degrees below ground or something like that. And so they all laughing, which is, is funny. But it's like they over laughing. And um, Sir Charles starts to start saying, I've known it's okay to smile sometimes. And he laughing and eating the chicken and laughing. And he says, I've known this motherfucker for years. I ain't never seen him laugh. Not once. And he starts repeating. I ain't never see you laugh. I never seen you laugh. 
I ain't never seen you laugh. And then he starts looking around. He's realizing everybody's like hysterical, like laughing crazy. And he realizes there's something off about the chicken. There's something off about the chicken. And he says, it's the chicken. It's the goddamn chicken. And he's whispering, it's the chicken, the powder. And then he remembers the white powder, what the white powder back at the lab did to him right before he shot the lab technician by mistake. And then he's like, yo, they put the powder in the chicken. It's in the fucking chicken. And then they notice, then they all notice that the owner of the chicken joint looks very similar to the lab technician. They both have that real pale skin with an afro. And so Fontaine immediately goes to the gun. He would get ready to go ask him some questions. And they and Slick, Slick Charles and Yo-Yo stop him like, yo, we in public. You don't see all these people around here? And then Yo-Yo volunteers to talk to the um, chicken joint owner herself in her way. So she flirts with the the chicken joint owner and she gets access to his office area and then she sees she discovers that their neighborhood is being researched and experimented with and um they sit and after they leave she trying to tell they trying to tell people don't eat that chicken don't eat that chicken um so they sitting in the parking lot and they talking about the things that they found out and um while they're sitting there talking, they see that the delivery truck that's delivering supplies to the chicken spot is about to pull off. So they follow the delivery truck. And the delivery truck goes to like a strip mall area where there's like a hair salon. And so Yo-Yo knows the girl that owns the hair salon. So Yo-Yo and Fontaine go in the hair salon and Fontaine tells Slick Charles, Yo, go see what's in the, in the delivery van. The child's like, why me or whatever? But he goes in the delivery van. So Yo-Yo and Fontaine go into the hair salon. And then Yo-Yo sees, like, she says hi to her friend or whatever. Can you get us in, like, talking a little banter or whatever? But she's really in there to see what the delivery guys brought in. And they brought in relaxers. And on the side of the box, it says straighter is greater. And, um... So they're looking around and her and Fontaine are talking about how how the chemicals that they're delivering is similar to the deliver the um chemicals that were in the chicken. It's like each product has a different type or form of the chemical in it, but it does something to each section of their community in a different way. So they're finding that out. But then Isaac, which is Fontaine's drug dealer nemesis comes in and he was like, I thought I was tripping at first. I know I shot your ass last night. So they get into a little a little bit of an argument. Fontaine ain't big on words though, so there's not a lot of argument. He's just looking at him like Psh. um the salon owner is like, take that outside. And they get into it a little bit, like I said, but then Yo-Yo sees the delivery van is pulling off and Slick Charles is in the back of the delivery van. So they got to try to go save him. They ain't got time to be arguing. And Isaac was like, threatens Fontaine, I'm going to see you, whatever. They they go outside, but Slick Charles is already gone. So they trying to figure out where the delivery truck would be. And so while they drive around town trying to figure out where the delivery truck would be going, 
um, Yo-Yo's reading the, the relaxer box, like, straighter is greater. And then it came to um, Fontaine's mind that Drunk Man Frog was saying that slogan the other day, straighter is greater. So they pull up on Drunk Man Frog. He's in front of the um, convenience store where um, where Fontaine always buys his 40-ounce beers and his lottery tickets. And he's asking them, like, Drunk Man Frog, what does straighter is greater mean? So they very patiently work with Drunk Man Frog, and they find out that the... Um, more than likely, the delivery tr- truck is going to the specific church, um, Mount Zion. So they pull up to the church. Um, Yo-Yo says, go around back. And then she, she's like, Nancy Drew ain't got shit on me when she realizes that, yes, that's the van. That's the delivery van where um, where um, Slick Rick, Slick Rick, Slick Charles is in. And then they get him out of the back of the van or whatever. And they go into the church where a revival is in full progress. White Jesus, bigger than everything else in the church, in the, is centered in the middle of the church. And the preacher is preaching about obedience and trust in his, his being white Jesus's vision. And the um, recently delivered grape drink is sitting there and the grape drink is the the product that gets delivered to the churches with the chemical from the um, experiment is. So um, the trio wait until the church is church service is over. And then they search the place trying to find out, you know, what else they can find because the delivery guys never came back out. That was like their last stop. And so it was everything else in the church was dark, but white Jesus was lit up. And his finger was pointing towards a certain spot in the area. So um, Fontaine lifted, like, I guess what a communion thing would be, right under where the grape drink that got delivered was sitting on top of. And there was a spot for a key card. And um, Slick Charles had found a key card in the van. So he gave it to Fontaine. And lo and behold, it fit into the slot. And then another elevator came up. This time, Yo-Yo entered first, followed by Fontaine, and a still very reluctant Slick Charles. Now this part is funny as hell. Fontaine's face, he's so, so serious. He don't have, like, no emotion. So when he ate that chicken and was laughing, it was just so out of character for him. So they see this new, this new area um, underneath the church. And 
they finally see everything. That's like the central point of everything. It's like their whole neighborhood is being observed from this point in their their city, their neighborhood. I don't know if it's a town, city, neighborhood, but that's the central, that's headquarters right there underneath the church. It reminds me of how when I went to Ghana and I saw two of the castles and how the church was right there on top of the castles. It reminds me of that very much so. Hmm. So Fontaine is wide open right now. He's like, this is where everything, because he feel you know, victimized by what they did to him. Like, you, I got shot up. You took my body and you brought me back to life. I need to find out what's happening here. Of course, Yo-Yo is like on her Nancy Drew shit. Like, we gonna find out what this mystery is. So she ready to, Slick Charles is just like, what else I'm gonna do? I'm along for the ride. So they go through all of this. They see their their town being observed and researched and experimented on. They see, um, and the way they get to see all of this is because they they um, pull up on some staff members and they they take their lab stuff. They have like hoods on their head and it's, they're covered from head to toe, so they get to walk around and not be recognized. Um, and then they discover the bodies, the different bodies. And it's not everybody being cloned. It's like specific types of people being cloned. Like Slick Charles comes back over and over and over again as the pimp stereotype that keeps the neighborhood in a certain way. Um, Fontaine comes back over and over and over again as the drug dealer stereotype that keeps the neighborhood a certain type of way over and over and over again. And that speaks to the different decades. Like, you don't even know what decade you're in. And that's in a lot of neighborhoods that are impoverished. You go and you see the same type of characters passed down from generation to generation, not really changing changing faces or changing decades, but still living out the same persona and still being detrimental to themselves, to their family members, to their community, and not really knowing any other kind of way to be. And especially if they clones, like in this movie, if they clones, they like, this is this is my script. This is what I do. This is the life I live. So when they discover this is going on underneath the church, they got to come up with a plan. Like, it can't just stay this way. Now, Slick Charles is like, what are we going to do? What what we gonna, what? what are we going to do against all of this? But Fontaine is like, we can do something. No, 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 no. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. At first, Fontaine is like, there's nothing we could do. But Yo-Yo is adamant. She is adamant. She, in her mind, yeah, she been hoeing, but she also had a foundation with her family, and she wants more. And she, 
can actually get more, but she got to get out of that neighborhood. And she's also not a clone either. They didn't clone her for whatever reason. And she has a mindset about getting out of that. And she want to go, I believe Memphis is where she has the idea of going. And she's trying to convince them. But Fontaine is like, after you see something like that, after you see how big it really is, I can imagine like, say back in the days when it was Black Panthers and they found out about COINTELPRO and how COINTELPRO was an actual government entity that was paid. I mean, their paychecks were to destroy anything in the black community that had to do with empowering people. Black Panthers, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Medgar Evers, Marcus Garvey, anything and everything that has to do with empowering the black community was destroyed and on purpose. So imagine being a part of something like that and discovering you got this big thing working against you. Like, what do you do? What do you do? So they escape the underground headquarters through a hatch that leads to what else but a strip club. They've been spotted. So the DJ in the club is ordered to play a new ruckus song. I call it Uncle Ruckus, but the point is the DJ plays the type of music that is part of the mind control, like the specific words that keep get people in their mindset that those who are pulling the strings want them to have, and he kind of turns them into a zombie mob. So Fontaine and Yo-Yo and Slick Charles they run out of it because the mob is after them now. And they they hijack a car, but the car is like a hoopty, so it barely makes it out of the parking lot. They get surrounded, like the zombie mob surrounds them, and they can't go any further. And they all stop at a certain point because there's this guy that pulls up. Um, first, this black guy gets out, and he looks just like Fontaine, another Fontaine clone, but... He's very, very silent, um, and his hair is just, like, different. He's he's a suit and tie kind of Fontaine, and he's he's the driver for a white guy who gets out and just breaks down the, um, the, the organization, the entity that is doing all of this research and experimentation, and he's pretty straightforward with the information that he shares with them. He says, um, America was an experiment by aristocratic ideologists living in mansions built by slaves, which is actually true. And he said when they checked out, they left us with the bill. And Basically, that business model of slavery was forced to end. America had to come up with new ways of sustaining that old blue blood shit, that old money, that that, that bank money that, you know, just keeps the status quo what it is. So there's truth mixed in with this um, with this movie, as with a lot of a lot of things. And um, he says that 
everything that they're doing is to keep the United States united. It sounds pretty ununited to me. And Slick Charles is like, so you, by keeping, by cloning pimps and drug dealers, that's how you keep the United States united? Which we're in a trap. How is that united? And Fontaine adds, and you use us to keep it that way. You use us to keep the trap what it is. And the white guy is like, yeah, we use you to keep the place what it is, which allows the experiment to just go on, the experiment in your neighborhoods to go on without any type of interference. So, I mean, that's kind of heavy right there. So Fontaine's reaction is to like, he want to he wanna go at the guy because he's like, the only reason I exist is to keep this place fucked up. And, you know, the white guy's like, nah, why you don't be down to yourself. I see you as Captain America. And the white guy tells them, go back to your regular lives and do what you do best, which is look the other way. Fontaine is, boy, ready to go at him like Fontaine will do. But then Fontaine is a clone. And so those mind control words that are in in a lot of the hip-hop, he just uses it on Fontaine. That's easy. Um, But Yo-Yo steps up because she knows she's not a clone. And and the white guy's fine with that. You don't got to be a clone. But I can use my clone to attack you. I can use my clone to attack his own damn self. And that's when Fontaine decided that there was no point in trying to fight this. It was He felt like it was just too big. It was way bigger than anything that he could handle. So he just went back to his usual peanut butter and jelly sandwiches the next day. And then Yo-Yo came over, like she turned on the music because she knew they were listening and she had her plans, like we gonna do this, we gonna do that. But Fontaine was over it. And Yo-Yo tried to encourage him to fight for their home. And he's like, what home? He got real downright nasty and raw with her. And he was pointing out that their neighborhood is broken down and filled with broken people. He even brought up her hostel, which was... True, but damn, that was that was mean. He was very angry, and he even admitted that he was part of the situation. He took accountability for why the neighborhood wasn't a no good place. And he used the words, I am. I am is a very strong affirmation. He said, I am a dope boy. And I wonder if he ever said, I am anything else with that much belief. But Yo-Yo let him know that was just an excuse. So he asked her what her excuse was. Because, you know, he saw where she grew up at, at her grandmother's house. Why was she being a hoe? And she was. She admitted she took accountability herself. She said, yep, I'm still stuck here in the same trap like you. I'm scared, too. I'm scared. That's how I ended up stuck here. I'm scared, too. But now that we know this, we got to do something. And Fontaine doesn't claim that same fear. He won't admit that he's afraid. He says he's cool with it. So he goes in his room, shuts the door, tells her she knows the way out. So that's, you know, that's where it ends for him. Well, that's where he tries to end it. And 
(sighs) He goes back to his daily habits, but he's different now. That experience, those things that he's been through for the past few days with Fontaine, with um, Slick, Charles, and Yo-Yo have changed him. So he tries to go through the next week or so, um, trying to go through the motions until one day he's sitting in front of the TV and that hot box spicy goddamn fried chicken commercial comes on and it's just too much. It's too much. And he takes his frustration out on the TV by throwing his glass at the TV. And he hears his mother's voice asking him if everything is okay. And at that point, he gets up and we hear the another commercial in the background playing. And now it's that, um, that relaxer, relaxer commercial saying, when you use this on your hair, your dreams will all come true. And we hear a woman saying, I just got a new job and a new man because she relaxed her hair. It's straighter, it's greater now. So he walks away from that TV at that point because that's a lot. Just knowing all that he knows, he just, he needs love. He needs, he needs not to be alone So he goes to speak to his mother and he asks her to open the door. Like, I really need you to open the door. But of course she doesn't because there's nothing in there. He busts down the door and he just sees an automated voice recording, which is so devastating. After everything else, that was like the straw. A lot of his pent up anger just came out and he just couldn't do anything but cry. He just banging on the door, just, just everything. He just even goes outside to get some fresh air and he's crying. And who shows up but Junebug? Little Junebug. And little Junebug's like, you crying? Why are you crying? Because he's a kid. And to kid, vulner- vulnerability is not intimidating. So Junebug just comes and sits by him with his little ju- ju- juice box. And um, we see Fontaine have like a real smile moment, which is which is nice to see. Like, it wasn't no fake induced by chemical smile or laugh or whatever. It was real connection to um, to Junebug. And Junebug is a reason to make a difference. Junebug is a reason. Junebug is a why. Next generation shouldn't have to go through these things if people step up and make a difference however they can. And so after that, time with Junebug, he decides to pull up on Slick Charles because he knows where Slick Charles is. And (laughs) we see Slick Charles exercising. Everybody's just Slick Charles and Fontaine just so stressed out by what they found out, which is understandable. And um, we see Yo-Yo in disguise and we see her with like, she had on a hat, some glasses, some Looking like Mary J, like the big, big hat, Mary J. Blige. Big, big hat, big glasses, trench coat, trying to be incognito. Here go Biddy across the street, took my, hey, hey. Got her caught up. Black SUV came and swiped her up. Meanwhile, Slick Charles has let all of his women go. And he hasn't been keeping up with his pimp grooming. And they both just sit with each other, one side of the table, one on the other side of the table, having a drink. Um, Fontaine was like, when's the last time you had a shower? 
Um, but they just sitting there, just both wondering about Yo-Yo. And they didn't know she had got caught up. So they both decided, like, let's go. Let's go check on Yo-Yo or whatever. But they didn't know where she was. So, of course, um, Slick Charles had to go freshen up first, get his life together. But after he freshened up, they went and they found Biddy, because you could always find Biddy. And they go find Biddy, but she ain't trying to hear Slick Charles, because he'd been missing for like a week. And she felt a kind of way about that, so she ain't trying to hear him. And he was like, just tell us where Yo-Yo is. So finally, after they gave us some money, she let them know that Yo-Yo had gotten picked up by that SUV truck. What? Fontaine was through. He was ready to go get her. Like, and, and this is when Slick Charles' skills, his skill set, came into use. Because he's Slick. Slick Charles. He knew that in order to deal with that the bigness, the hugeness of that type of network, they had to get them an army on their side too. Their adversaries literally had an army. So they had to get an army too. And they had to devise a plan to get around everything that um, had been put in place to keep them oppressed that way. So they came up with a plan that incorporated the entire community because um, you can't do stuff like that alone. It just it just doesn't work. Sometimes people try it, but it's, it's too big. So things like that are too big for one person or two people. It got to be an entire community. So he got Isaac involved. He got Biddy involved. He got everybody involved. And so Isaac... <laughs> ended up shooting uh, Fontaine again. Fontaine had to play dead. They had to um, do all the things that they did to get him on the inside of the underground laboratory. And the original Fontaine, who sells, created um, all of the other Fontaines, we found out, we find out that the original Fontaine is the main geneticist who lost his little brother because of basically racism and anti-black cop bullshit. And in his mind, the way you wipe it all out is to make everybody be the same. So all the traces of who we are, you just wipe it out. And in that way, everybody, there won't be any problems. So the clone Fontaine is looking at him like, you don't think black people will notice if they're waking up with blonde hair, white skin, blue eyes? And the original Fontaine let him know, this is going to happen over generations. It's not going to happen overnight. So we keep your neighborhood the way it is for now until we have what we want in place and then we just get rid of y'all. You know what I mean? And like a lot of times in real life, outside of this movie, the commercials we see now, everybody's mixed. Everybody's mixed in all of the commercials, all the movies, everybody's mixed. So I don't know, something to it. Um, yeah. So the clone Fontaine is looking at him like he's crazy because he's talking about assimilation is better than annihilation. That's what the black geneticist said. But assimilation is annihilation. 
annihilation of everything that you are to become everything that you are not for the benefit of everybody that you're not. That's ridiculous. So the trio, Slick Charles, Yo-Yo, Fontaine, they go through their things. They bring in the community. The community smashes up all of that stuff in that underground. It smashes up everything. They go through, you know, the battle whatever. But the, the clones get freed. And the beautiful thing is the community supports them. They don't look at them like, oh, you weird or whatever. No, they was victims and they support them into getting into, you know, into a new life, changing the neighborhood, changing what's going on around them. And um, the trio plans to follow Yo-Yo to retire from her whole stroll life and start a new life and do new things. And meanwhile, the news um, shows other cities, other states, and we see another Fontaine lookalike out in L.A., doing the same kinds of things we saw Fontaine doing on his day-to-day, on a day-to-day basis, every single day, until he saw the news of clones being freed. His own face was on the screen, and his friends were asking him, like, yo, ain't that you, Tyrone? The word. You, sir. Where did you come from? All right, we just need to keep moving. Let's go this way. Sir! 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 What's your name? I have never seen anything like this before. Once again, clones here outside of Jabo's park shop. I thought you were And it's so dope how they got Erica Badu to redo her song. Clone Tyrone. 